about to begin again and the reason why is because John Tory uh, has resigned after it was discovered that he was having an affair with a staffer I believe was 27 years his junior something like that maybe 37 I, I can't remember she was 31 anyways um, what that has done to the political landscape in Toronto is probably something that we're not really quite aware of yet It'll be interesting to see what Doug Ford, what Doug Ford ally will be placed uh, inside that race. It'll be interesting to see if a progressive can somehow win um, the the mayor's chair in Toronto. I say somehow because I feel like things are tilting a little bit to the right, but I could be wrong about that. And as soon as I find out, I contacted um, a person that I know. Um, he's an acquaintance of mine. I've known him for years. We both actually ran in the 2010 mayoral election, the one that Rob Ford won. And I wanted to get his insight. I wanted to see if he was kind of running. And so we have him here tonight on the show. And his name is Rocco A. Champong. How are you doing, buddy? I am amazing. I'm amazing. Thank you so much for having me, James. Thank you for coming, man. It's been a while. Um, I think, first of all, before we get to um, any political stuff, um, I think we both sort of had a little bit of sadness today when we, uh, when we realized that um, Dave from uh, De La Soul passed away. And I'm not, I wasn't sure, I, I was telling you beforehand, I, I wasn't actually even sure that you were a hip-hop head. I just, I don't think I've ever talked to you about hip-hop before, but did you, um, were you a De La Soul guy? I was a De La, I was a De La Soul guy, um, and they were early 90s. Uh, they gave us uh, some great music. I remember, I think, seeing them in Toronto back in the late 90s when they mm -hmm. came here for a little concert. You know how we have our little concert halls like Phoenix and everything else? I think they yeah. performed there. And uh, I was in a, uh, I was in a club. This is my university, my undergraduate years, and uh, De La Soul was uh, right standing right behind me. It was pretty cool. Yeah, man, that that, you know, that was really sad. And they just, um, I think it was like last month, they just got, uh, they just secured the rights to their their publishing, and uh, and they're re-releasing all of their stuff again next month. Um, right. You know where the where the band because they lost a lawsuit. I think it was for a hundred grand. Because they, they lost the lawsuit because the lawyers uh, from the people that owned the publishing of the Turtles said that they used the sample without clearing it. And it was one of those things where they just forgot to clear the sample. It wasn't like they were trying to hide it because they, they had so many. Because, you know, they, they were the one of the originals when it came to. They were hardcore. Things. They were hardcore instrumentalists, right? They had like they had they, they used quite a lot of instruments in your music They I think they were more promptly categorized as hip hop, funk, hip hop, groove. Some yeah. Little kind of, yeah. And they were almost not the inventors of sampling, but they they perfected it, right? Like three feet high and rising. There's like eighty five samples probably on that album. And, they, did, uh, they perfect it though. I don't know, James. That's a hard statement. Like we would have to go back to the eighties and take listen to some albums, early nineties. That's right. And I think De La Soul. I think you'll find when they their shit was. You know, I think you know. I think Pete Rock and Seal Smooth were sampling. Rock Kim was sampling. Daddy Kane was sampling. 
they were all sampling, but 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 I think what uh, what what people think, what what the aficionados seem to believe, and I kind of agree with them, is that the way that De La Soul did it, um, first of all, it was it was every track practically, but they 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 solidified that art form in a way that was just different. They, you right. Don't forget, they came out with three, three feet high and rising at a time when rap was all about like being tough and being hardcore, and they came out with like thrift shop clothes and, right you know and we're like plug one plug two like it wasn't you know hardcore stuff and the juxtaposition of seeing a band succeed like a hip-hop group succeed when when they're not being you know tough when when it's the late 80s early 90s it was quite the sight at the time anyways it, it was yeah no they, they were certainly different they were certainly different that's right all right, so let, uh, um, before we get into the political stuff, I'm going to open with this. I just want to uh, get your reaction when we come out on the back end. So this is, uh, this is John Tory's resignation speech. So, Well, good evening and thank you for coming. Uh, I want to update uh, Torontonians uh, on a difficult personal matter. During the pandemic, I developed a relationship with an employee in my office in a way that did not meet the standards uh, to which I hold myself as mayor and as a family man. The relationship ended by mutual consent earlier this year. During the course of our relationship some time ago, the employee decided to pursue employment outside City Hall and secured a job elsewhere. I recognize that permitting this relationship to develop was a serious error in judgment on my part. It came at a time when Barb, my wife of 40 plus years, and I were enduring many lengthy periods apart while I carried out my responsibilities during the pandemic. As a result, I've decided that I will step down as mayor so that I can take the time to reflect on my mistakes to do the work of rebuilding the trust of my family. I'll be working with the city manager, the city clerk, and the deputy mayor, Jennifer McKelvey, to ensure an orderly transition in the coming days. While I deeply regret having to step away from a job that I love in a city that I love even more, I believe in my heart it is best to fully commit myself to the work that is required to repair these most important relationships. As well, I think it is important, as I always have, for the office of the mayor not to be in any way tarnished and not to see the city government itself, but through a period of prolonged controversy arising out of this error in judgment on my part, especially in light of some of the challenges that we face as a city. I'm deeply sorry, and I apologize unreservedly to the people of Toronto and to all of those hurt by my actions, including my staff, my colleagues on City Council, and the public service for whom I have such respect. Most of all, I apologize to my wife, Barb, and to my family, who I've let down more than anyone else. I hope the privacy of all of those impacted by my actions can be respected, and that includes me. I think, as you know, I am naturally not—I'm uh, naturally a private person, notwithstanding some of the jobs that I've had over the years. And I hope you'll respect that, and the privacy of everyone else as well, especially my wife and family. I've made the integrity commissioner aware of the relationship and asked him to review it. I want to thank the people of Toronto for trusting me as mayor. It has been the job of a lifetime. And while I've let them down and only down in this instance, I've nonetheless been deeply honoured by the opportunity to serve the people of this wonderful city. And I believe that I did some good for the city, that I did make a positive difference uh, for the city that I truly love, particularly during the pandemic. I'm usually known for taking as many questions as you want to ask, but on this occasion, I think all the statements speak well. Thank you. Thank what were your initial thoughts after hearing his statement? Um, uh, in capital letters, WTF, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. I think that was like my Twitter. That was my quick tweet, uh, my quick tweet immediately thereafter. Um, 
And it's funny, everybody that heard it all, all said there has to be something more. There has to be something more. He cannot just be resigning because, you know, something may be happening in his marriage and he, he may be estranged and he got laid. I mean, surely uh, in 2023, our standards have changed. Uh, we're not so puritanical uh, as to say that's a cardinal sin. I mean, that would be a bit too Catholic. But that's also John Tory, you know, like the man is, uh, has said himself, uh, has set a standard for himself, which is his and his alone, in my in my opinion. And that was, that was old school. He's like, I don't even want to be tarnished, right? I mean, he's relatively uh, conducted himself without a blemish. And here he is, just for one of these things, just walks away. And uh, I actually I actually wrote him and said, do not resign, <laughs> exclamation point, right? Mm -hmm. And I put it out there. So it's just, let's see what happens. It looks like this resignation is taking, is going to take a lot longer than people anticipated. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on the on the old school thing, I, but and and I don't know what to think because there is a part of me that sort of agrees with you that uh, John Tory seems like an old school politician, and he seems like a guy who um, he's taking a page out of like the '90s, and uh, you know when and usually the wife was sitting there three behind three feet to the side with her wallflower look on and, and everything, and he skipped all that and he went straight for the resignation. Do you think that this is just an old school politician just trying to like get ahead of the scandal and resign for the good of the city? Or do you, yeah. do you think that there's something else that like, maybe they were, maybe they had sex at work? Like, I, I don't even know. Look, like, I like, mean, do you think there's something else. James, I have an old theory more often than not, the answer is to be found within the question itself. Right. And I think uh, the first question um, answers it all. I think he's just old school. He's, he's the last of a, uh, of a, of a dying breed uh, of Ontario politics and Canadian politics and gentlemanly politics uh, from the 70s through on to the 80s. Um, I don't think the 90s were exactly the standard. The 90s saw the Bill Clinton, stand, uh, Bill Clinton scandal. Um, right. And he survived that, right? So... What does it mean then for the city itself? Like, do you... What, what, what do you imagine happening? I'm going to ask you in a second if you're going to run. Actually, I'll just ask you now, and then we'll get the other thing. Get that out of the way. Are you? Do you have any plans on running? Is it something that you've even thought about? Uh, you know, I, I guess a lot of candidates probably at least have tinkered with the idea. I've seen some people um, come out. Um, it's Blake Acton, I think his name is, is 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 running again. He seems very angry. I don't know what's going on with that guy. Yeah, no, he's he's not going to win. Um, uh, look, you and I were bit by the political bug about thirteen years ago. Um, and we had a good time. Uh, we were both elevated yeah. to a very uh, hallowed platform where uh, citizens gathered en masse to come hear us. You participated in the arts vote at the Royal Ontario Museum, if I don't, if I, if I recall correctly. That's right. Um, and I had participated in a number of other fora. Um, he and once that once that adrenaline and 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 obviously your. Uh, once that adrenaline clashes or merges or conflates with that sense of duty, um, you keep banging and knocking on the door. And that was not the first time I ran. I got nominated immediately after, uh, after for the progressive conservatives. I wasn't much of a Hudak acolyte, so that didn't work out very well. 
Um, and then I think at some point I may have tried to, re I may have, tr in 2018, I tried to run for council again, where I had to uh, uh, challenge the provincial legislation slicing council in half uh, right. in the middle of the election. And then um, uh, I ran for council uh, this time around. And it was, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, a shit show uh, in terms of internal organization. Uh, but funny enough, I still came third uh, out of uh, 14 very strong candidates, a lot of whom got over a thousand votes. Um, would I run for mayor? Uh, it takes a special type of chutzpah to say you can run a credible campaign for the mayor of Toronto. And as you, as you and I discovered, it comes with uh, a, a, a prerequisite for organizational setup across 25 wards, soon to be 24 from what I understand, um, uh, manpower, uh, serious capital, uh, all of which I'm lacking. So if we were to check yeah. the boxes as to whether or not I have, you know, the... Uh, the necessary prerequisites to uh, to put my name down for this race, um, I don't. Uh, but if you know, if if uh, if all of that suddenly changed in the next thirty days, mm. repping my city and, and participating in the conversations on many of the critical file areas, um, housing, transit, and just making people feel good about themselves, um, yeah, you know, I'll be there. I, I'll, I'll definitely rep for the four one six any day of the week. Yeah, well, it would be a great, you'd be a great candidate. I, I, I've i always thought that you were a strong candidate. I, I also, uh, the, the capital thing bothers me a little bit because I, when I um, I interviewed David Miller on like the last week of his administration and I asked him, you know, uh, like why, why does it, why, why is the, um, the capital so important um, when running a campaign other than just campaign um, expenses? And he said, because the business community won't take you seriously if you can't raise at least 100K. And I was like, that just deflated me even more. Right. <laughs> you know? Like, why, why, our system is like that. Should it be like that? Huh. I mean, if we, if, we, if we, we're not going to have a, uh, you know, a pure Athenian democracy in modern day Toronto. You're not going to have a bunch of uh, city dwellers get together, uh, limited by enfranchisement and, uh, and able to stand uh, and put your names forward and get voted on by your fellow citizen. You're not going to have that, uh, number one. I, I do disagree um, about uh, Mayor Miller's um, reason for requiring capital. I think uh, there is a lot of stake. Um, we are, there are nodal centers, I think, globally that are uh, interconnect us globally uh, in, in, in a big way. Um, and Toronto is one of those centers. North America's fourth largest city, North America, based on our immigration trends and the targets set by the federal government, we will probably eclipse um, uh, the third largest city and we will be the third largest city in short order. Uh, and I, dare I say in the next five years, if we maintain the target of 500,000 immigrants per year or up to 500,000 immigrants per year, and that includes people with student visas. So 
there's a lot of stake here. We are a financial hub, not only for Ontario, but dare I say Canada. Uh, and there's a lot of there's a there's a lot at stake. So perhaps accessing capital is has its own democratic function of showing you have popular supports, right? Because you can get a hundred thousand dollars from the business community, or you can get uh, a thousand friends to give you a hundred dollars or a hundred friends to give you a thousand dollars, right? I think you can raise that. And I think I can raise that. If you went and knocked on everybody's door, I think at some point you will reach that sum. So it's an indicator of you having public support. And it's also an, it also signals that there is skin in the game uh, from more than just you. You're not blowing hot air. You have people that have invested in you and, um, and obviously you're trying to buy into your vision. And these are, these guys are part of your, your warriors. You're go- you are literally at war, right? I mean, I think somebody described democracy. It was Dr. Ambedkar, uh, the author and father, said to be the father of the Indian constitution, um, who said, uh, democracy permits for a bloodless revolution every four years. And that's what it is, right? It is a question of where the city is going to head. It's a question of vision. And it's a question of buy-in. And so raising capital uh, signifies uh, that there's significant buy-in and now you can be taken seriously. Um, Does it somehow restrict access from otherwise qualified candidates like yourself, who was uh, uh, rather knowledgeable when he said- Oh, I wasn't qualified. That's very generous. But but you know what I mean? Like you were at the podium, you were sharing your vision, but the reason why, I mean, dare I say, you probably had- um, uh, more of a vision uh, than some of the people that you sat on the panel with, right? These guys were just talking point, um, uh, just repeating talking points nonstop. And they weren't really saying anything. You were really trying to talk. And I think I was really trying to talk, right? And we were trying you know what's to- What's interesting about that is that both of us had, um, had, had, had you did, um, I, I can't remember how many debates you did, but it was like a dozen or something, wasn't it? Oh, I, I, I did. I did quite a lot of the major ones. And there was a big push to put me in the CP24, the major televised debate. And That's Giorgio right. Mamaliti resigned and he called a press conference and he put me, stood, stood beside, tell him, told me to stand beside him and publicly begged CP24 for me to have a seat. Right. Yeah. And even then, um, uh, the major networks were like, no, Rocco, it's not your time. Right. Yeah, so, uh, well, one, yeah, I hated that. But one thing we had in common, you and I, is that I recall well, I, I only did that one debate. It was I, I think it was the biggest one. It wasn't televised, but it was the biggest one attended in person. And that um, and then the next day, the Global Mail said that I won that debate. And the same thing happened to you at the biggest debate that you participated in the next day. I don't remember what media it was, but said that you won. And I, And a lot of people came up to me afterwards and was just like, do you feel like, you know, that politics is slanted unfairly. And I was like, well, of course I do. <laughs> it's slanted towards the people that can raise the money, so, uh, which goes back to the whole capital thing. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if there's a, uh, uh, you know, some sort of solution to sort of fix that. I, I know that I, I, I managed a campaign in the last mayoral election in Barrie. And I, I don't want to say who it is yet because he's, he still owes us money. <laughs> to be honest with you, but we, I ran, I was the co-chair of his campaign and I got to tell you the, the behind the scenes in the campaign is not only stressful as hell, but it's so cutthroat. 
like it it is war and it's not bloodless when you're actually running the campaign right it's, there's it's full of blood <laughs> right right have you have you ever um has it ever given you pause when you've been in any of the campaigns that you've been involved with about just have you been able to stay out of that fray or have you noticed and been a part of that war that goes on behind the curtain um well obviously when you're the candidate you every decision stops with you um if you have at the very least anything that goes out in your name you would have some level of um uh decision making responsibility so yeah I, i've been there uh I, I dare dare i say my experiences the only time it gets really bloody is when like other campaigns start doing the nefarious things you know like this campaign um i wanted to overwhelm them with sign presence so much of that you know you know there was a point in a campaign when you know you're going to lose <laughs> Yeah. Right. And uh, one of those days, one of those signal days is the sign day when you can put up signs in public squares and in front of homes and everything else. I. By 6 a.m., my crews and my, myself also included um, had just basically plastered all of downtown Toronto, Savannah, Fort York. If you woke up and you were a candidate in that election, um, you would have thought twice about your chances. But then I'm going up against an organized machine, right? Yeah. The end. It was a the NDP had your candidate. They coalesced one group. This was an it's a center super left leaning riding. Um, the night the day after that. Uh, he, these guys had basically driven around all of Spadano Fort York and just taken down all my signs. Yeah. Intense, you know, like, like real union thugs. Right. So, yeah. and then you got to go uh, expend those monies again. You got to be ready to show that you are a powerful presence and you're not going anywhere. Right. Um, and that goes back to having capital because you need to buy these things. You have to advertise. Um, but in terms of a, a, a point where I felt like, I am actually in a blood war as opposed to an, a, uh, an ideas war. I don't think I've ever felt that. I've always sort of tried to keep it above neck, right? Um, but I, I got really incensed uh, with uh, the signed takedowns on multiple occasions where I even approached one candidate. And I probably would have punched him in the face if, if, <laughs> if, if he gave me the, slight, the slightest hint that it was him. But then after yeah. the after the campaign, I saw him walking around, or even before the vote was even finished, I saw him walking around. I I, I apologized profusely for even approaching him to accuse him. I even gave him a hug, and it was all love, you know, because only we know what we're going through. Yeah. Right. And no, it, it's it, it's one of those things about a campaign that I hate. I hate the sign thing. I I hate the um um how many how many dirty tricks that are played just with the signs alone like we had to deal with that with with my candidate who finished like a i think like a distant fourth or something but he um you know even even our signs were like all like 80 percent of them were like either trashed or taken away and it was like the, the, like our whole system just seems to be fucking broken i, I think right? like, the, democracy or our process uh civilizes and otherwise uncivilized um uh clash 
between uh, combatants. And I, and I don't even like to use that term, but it is, it is, it is a battle. Uh, and so, and sometimes it makes one wonder whether or not even ideas matter at some point. That's how you can, yeah. that's how certain people can get elected, right? It's just the machine. Who cares who's on the top? I mean, you can ground game. Yeah. You can persuade anyone to vote for anyone, and that's what yeah. makes it dangerous. I think. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko, and I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast. Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. So let's take your, take your name out of it. Um, you, you, you say that you probably wouldn't run anyways, but if you did, but even still, let's take your name out of it. What do you think Toronto needs? And who are, if anybody, that you can think of that might be a good fit to sort of slide into that mission? I think insofar as the next three and a half years are concerned, I do think we need someone like Tori. Um, because there's a lot of noise, ideological noise coming from the right and coming from the left. And it peace loving persons like, uh, like I suspect yourself and myself, we just want things to work. You know, yeah. I don't want you to wake up and I hate police on this, on this end. Oh, uh, uh. Uh, we're spending too much on the poor on this. It's just enough. We have to take care of the poor. That's the whole point of coming together <laughs> in a democratic government uh, to take care of common goods. Um, uh, we need safety and security uh, because that's why we we bandied together. Right? This is basic political theory 101 and the origins of society. This is how society came together. We were stronger together, right? Um, so, and yes, we will need uh, a policing element because not everybody's an angel. There is evil and bad people out there, right? So we will need police. So when people wake up and they bash police or people wake up and they bash uh, providing shelters for uh, the homeless or people who for through no fault of their own or even through fault of their own um, have landed in bad times, um, there is a centrist position where I think we can, we can reconcile those disparate positions and move forward, right? And mm -hmm. I don't want, if Tory goes or someone like Tory uh, is not present, someone we're used to, I mean, he's the guy we've been dating for eight years, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm in the mood for a new <laughs> partner right now. I'm used, to, I'm used to what I get for Tory for now. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't want us to get back into that chaotic, uh, uh, David Miller time, 
um, uh, left, right antagonism and counsel. I, I just just focus on and 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 more often than not, city council and our budget and how we and and, and budget allocations are pretty much on cruise control. Right? Yeah. You're not gonna be it's not, it's not even legal to 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 run a deficit. You can, I mean, but we we have we we have in some instances, I mean we have a one billion dollar hole. We don't have we don't properly account for unfunded liabilities, pensions that will vest and to which we also have um uh some interest in or some liability from. Um but when I say it's on cruise control. The line items will go to administrative uh, you know, office expenditures and then the core service areas, you know, the things we do, you know, the parks and recs, the waste management, um, those things are taken care of. You can't, you can't not budget for those things. Do you understand? So yeah. when we're talking about maneuvering room, we're talking about a few hundred million dollars here and there. And, and, um, and, uh, I, I, I just don't want um, those conversations and the debates around those allocations to be just vociferous, you know, just. Yeah. I'm thinking like a Kristen Wong Tam, like, like if she throws her. I love Kristen, but might I say, fuck no. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I I don't know Kristen, but I would probably say the same thing because she just sort of like the polarized councils were bad. The last, like the administration of the David Miller years all of Rob Ford's years, they were just bad. They were just like, it was just a polarized council and it was always decided by one or two votes and it was always split and it didn't do anyone and it didn't do anybody any good. Um, you know, why are, I'm having Sherry DeNovo on Wednesday and I've had her on the show before and I really like her. I don't share a lot of her politics, but I, I, I like her a lot. And when the topic of polarization came up, she said something actually kind of interesting, which was that, oh, we're polarized, so you have to pick a side now. And I was like, I don't know if that's the right way to look at this. You know, like, and I feel like she's probably a lot smarter than me politically, so I'm not trying, but also she's a lot more ideological than I am. Right. So what are your thoughts on that? Because I, 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 think, I'm, I think we see things in the same way. In fact, when I met you, we actually, one of my best friends, a guy I grew up with, was the bartender at the Duke of York, Dan Stevenson. And I think okay. that's... Um, I think we actually met there. That was the first time that we actually met before we even met online or maybe, maybe we, maybe online was first, but either way. Um, and, and I remember talking to you even back then, and this is now 13 years ago. Um, and you and I, the, the things that we agreed on largely were, were like, we need a moderate voice. You know, we need someone that can bring sides together, not just plant a flag in one side and just fight it like, like hell against the other side. Right. Are you still in that sort of mode? Politically? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I, I, I mean, people call that the happy middle, uh, makes me a sign, but I, I, would, I like to think of it as non-ideological. I like yeah. to uh, present the facts to me, present the evidence to me, and what is our objective? Why are we even having this conversation, right? Like, if we, if we have to make a decision, um, what are the parameters? What are the options? Uh, I'm not going to, and I think the ideological people show up um, uh, with a certain bias, to what they already want to do, right? So the deliberative process is already obstructed by ideology. You won't get that with me, right? What is the issue? Let's go through the analysis. What is the resolution? And most importantly, can we afford it? How do we fund it? 
right? Because we can all be, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna, if there is a campaign in Toronto, everybody's gonna be out here promising a chicken in every pot, right? But then you got to keep putting chicken in that pot for the next four years. And how do you afford that? I wonder if there's a chance that Tory resigns and then enough time goes by until the actual election comes and he comes back and he tries to do one of those redemption stories. Not going to happen. No? It, it would be too silly. First of all, I think it would be um, it would be insensible only because not only did you not have to resign, because one, I think you probably might win again. Um, but two, you just... Uh, you've made much ado about the finances of the city, of the city and now you just wasted serious millions of dollars to uh, get us back to uh, square one. I, 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 for that alone, I would I would oppose him. I would come up. Well, he 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 already. I mean, he, in a sense, he wasted the millions of dollars that we spent on the campaign. What was it? Four months ago, he was just yeah, elected. That's why I'm saying he shouldn't resign, James. That's what I'm saying. You shouldn't go. Well, that's why. That's why maybe we're being maybe we're being a little bit too generous, Rocco, by saying that he's just old school. You know, like the, you think it's something else. I don't know. I don't want to. Spe- I never like want to speculate. I because you know, but but it just normally when you read these things politically, especially if you know how it works behind the scenes, right? Like the first thing I thought of was like, okay, I guess a fixer um, has pointed a Toronto Star reporter to a story, right? <laughs> right, like. Um, Because it doesn't have the feel of like, this was really great investigative reporting. It has a feel like Robin Doolittle picking up the phone and a guy saying that Rob Ford's a crackhead was on the other line. Like that that's the feeling that I got when I when I heard this story. Right. And then, of course, when Tory resigned, all I kept on thinking was, oh, he's getting ahead of the scandal. And then I'm like, what's the scandal? Because if it's just an affair, I don't think he's been paying attention to politics in the last 15 years. Because right. I don't think we care about that. I think I think David Ryder, um, who was the chief author, if I'm not uh, chief author of the story, because uh, I think he's the city hall bureau chief anyway. He mm. said he was even shocked. Like he didn't even believe it when the tip came in. Right. See, and there's no way that like, I feel like the person who made that tip works for a party or a person that will be a front runner in the next, in, in the mayoral election. And, and I find that um, that speculation frustrates me a little bit because I, I've been in rooms before and, and, and I mean, we all know how it works. We all know that post media has reporters where, um, a, a, you know, a conservative will call them and be like, here's the story. Don't release it until this because that timing will be best for me politically. Right. Liberals have that too. And I've been in rooms, and, and, and I told this story before. I won't say who it was, but there's a liberal lawyer who, who, like, who was basically bigging himself up as a person that can, can get media stories dropped whenever he wants. And I was like, well, I want to see an example. So he calls me up like a week later, and he's like, this is coming out tomorrow. This is the adjective I told them to use in the front paragraph. Right. And this is the lead that they buried in the fifth paragraph. But I told him to put it there so we'd have ammo for a story the next day. All of it, boom, 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 came true. And I'm just like, and I'm thinking about the reporter. Like, if I'm if I'm in the reporter's shoes, what am I thinking? Well, I guess I'm thinking, like, this is a great story. I don't want to fuck up this source, so I'll listen to him and put it out when this source tells me to put it out. Right. And I'm like, is there anything worse about politics and media than that story? Well, you're starting to sound like an idealist, uh, James. <laughs> oh, fuck. Heaven forbid. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, 
you know, you're starting to, when you were talking, like, maybe I am. He's, uh, yeah, was, you were giving me thoughts of uh, Thomas More. Um, <laughs> look, I, I take a rather real politique approach to um, how we operate in business and in society and in politics, which is what our politics reflect. There is a, uh, obviously, given the importance of the media and given obviously the importance of our politics and those in power, uh, those estates will always be married. Um, and these reporters, uh, they're very savvy, you know, they cultivate people, you know, and when, when, when they need you for a story, heck, they'll call you and talk to you like they've been your best friend for the next 10 years. And once they get what they want, you don't even recognize you on the street anymore. Um, look, I wouldn't even be surprised if it was somebody on the, in the staff and his and his and in his own in the mayor's office um, that did it. You know, um, yeah. and 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 as you know, with these stories, if it's really uh, scandalous, they would be really they release one, so that that would have been the Friday night, and then uh, they would have sold some prints and gotten some clicks with the weekend prints and then monday morning boom right they would be would be trip drop trip drop right it, it would be it, it would be um intensifying as the days go ahead with more angles on the story i don't think you have that here i think he's simply clean cut john tory got laid and it was not his wife yeah. Right. He was with that haircut too. I'm, I mean, I'm good for him. John Tory has been made to seem like an average man going through average man problems, and did average man things, and he has to see that this is a we are all the great grand middle of any society is a pool of average men. <laughs> this is what we go through. So welcome to the great middle, John. Just but you don't need to resign. I, I I'm not yeah. I'm not I'm not in the mood for a circus. I, I'm not. Yeah, I know. You know, and and it's funny because um, what are your thoughts on the whole? Um, I don't know how much you've read about it, but the Doug Ford's daughters, Stag and Doe developers, came, gave a whole bunch of money. Oh wow, what a coincidence! They ended up being the ones that got the uh, green belt. No, that's horrible. That's project. scandalous. That's that's uh, that's the, the appearance. I mean, one must always at least, uh, you know, desist from appearing impropitious, you know, like the mere appearance of impropriety is enough to, uh, to uh, cause scandal, especially for someone like a premier and, or the premier, um, was it, and were they even your friends before you became premier and were they really the beneficiaries of the most controversial, uh, uh, subject area in parliament and provincial parliament right now and you're palling around with them in your backyard hey, that's tone deaf um i think that's probably more scandalous than um our our 68 year old mayor getting laid with all due respect i yeah I, no i agree i i agree i i seeing those two stories back to back and seeing one man resign and it not being the one that fattened his pockets via his daughter stagendo was um allegedly well yeah i wouldn't share that speculation we we, if you've got to be like 
colossally stupid. <laughs> uh, to I don't think a- he's that smart. I, I think that Brazen is is in his blood. Yeah. I think hiding in plain sight is also something that he thinks he's really good at, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, he was saying, uh, I, I, I don't like to speak. Um negatively of uh doug ford because i there's a part of me that really likes him on a personal level oh really yeah 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 because even in is 2010 it, is, it, is it the pinky it's the pinky ring or the fake tan ah uh, no no it's just um uh he's got this toronto ethos you know like he can walk into mm-hmm. any hood and start hanging out handing out 20 bucks to like the kids hanging out on a basketball court. You like that about him? You know, but it's just like, it's so like, it's so Toronto, you know, like for example, um, and I compared him to, I compared him to Bumpy Johnson throwing turkeys out of the back of a cube van. Look, that, and I wouldn't happened. put that past him, right? Like, yeah. but, but he was, uh, he was um, in 2010 when we were going through all those debates, he approached me and said, Rocco, what you're saying up on stage seems to agree with what we're saying. Why don't you come work for our campaign? Be a speechwriter. Huh. He actually asked me that in 2010, and I, I I think I considered it for one minute um, until I saw the eyes of a little black kid in one of these gyms. You know, we had like 108 debates that year, right? Yeah. And uh, I think it was Bathurst Heights, and, and this kid is looking up, and your mother's, uh, you know, they're wearing uh, their their hijab, and other uh, black mothers in these low income areas, and. And they're looking at me and seeing me debate these guys on a level of competence that, uh, you know, even uh, uh, I guess my own, our, our, our former opponents even uh, acknowledged and appreciated. Uh, I wasn't just talking smack uh, to speak colloquially. And and just to give them that look, it is a very powerful thing, uh, the politics of recognition, to see yourself in the person, you know, on the on the podium or in authorities and positions of uh, authority and everything, it's a very powerful thing. Uh, for example, I wasn't very I'm not I'm not a big fan of Mark Saunders, right? But yeah. when he became the police chief, I was like, I had a sentimental moment. It's like holy shit. Yeah, right. That. So there is a poll because it, it, it speaks to a, a a story of belonging and the narrative of persons like me whose families came in the 1980s and we grew up here and are bred here and everything else is belonging to the society that somehow has chosen us or our families have chosen to be a part of. But you are to be a part of the society, but the society was uh, subsisting long before you came along. And whether or not you are part and parcel of that society is always something that's uh, uh, the object of like, uh, political protest and everything else. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, systemic discrimination and everything. So when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's real progress. Right. But this was also um, with all, you know, the clown that was uh, thinking we had to, had to commission a study to find out whether or not racial profiling was good. That was, was a good policing tool. Like you gotta be that stupid. You can't be that dumb. Um, so with that, that kid, when that kid looked at you, um, did you feel sort of an obligation then to to stick with um, a more authentic you, which would not include writing speeches for for Rob? Is that basically? Yeah, no, I just wanted them to have that vision, have that picture, and just to let them know you also belong at the table. Um, I, I obviously did the Barack Obama presidency impact you, brother? Come on now. 
Well, I just want to know. So, I, I, I mean, it sounds like the most easiest question of all time, but I guess maybe I'll expand a bit. I, I know a lot of lot of of my black friends were, and I cried um, when he won, and 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 I didn't think he was the greatest president. But but the important thing happened when he won, to me. Like it didn't even matter what his presidency was. It, it almost didn't matter. And and actually, it does matter in a lot of. It wasn't a disaster, which is great because now you can't get like black people can't get blamed for like you know having a disastrous presidency, especially right. after the last four four, right. four years before Biden. Right. But but the the impact and the significance of um of his presidency was not lost on me. I guess I'm really asking like, how powerful was that for you? Come on. You and I, are you a, you're a seventies baby, right? I'm a seventies baby. Uh, I'm 46. Okay. I'm 45 this year. So okay. you're my senior by one or two grades. Yeah, that's right. Don't you forget it. Yes. I, I will never forget it. <laughs> um, but, and some of the biggest jokes in the 1990s um, was centered around a black president in the United States. It was like the object of humor. That remember uh, Matt skills, right? I'm, I'm like a black president. Why? Cause mm, ain't seeing me, right? right? Yeah. Or even uh, Tupac Shakur when he says, "And uh, although it seems heaven sent, we ain't ready to have a president." Like this was 1998 yeah. changes, right? Yeah, yeah. And then ten years after, a decade to the day, we are witnessing, yeah, something momentous, right? A system of built on or that came to be built on or notionally defended on notions of uh, white superiority, white supremacy, uh, black slavery, and you were electing a black president. It's, I wasn't I a fan, yeah. I, I wasn't initially, I wasn't, you know, like I'm, I'm always suspicious of people uh, who are too, um poetic and and mm. in politics yeah. right because then yeah. he he struck me as the pied piper but like, he was like a, sl- like, like a bill like a black bill way too kind of slick thing. brother right <laughs> 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 forgive me way too slick but yeah. and you pointed it out you, you said it I, I think uh it was implied in in what you just previously said that his I, I don't care what happened in this presidency as long as, hey, Black people weren't responsible for that shit. Barack Obama's only duty was to survive. Yeah. And competently complete his task without um, uh, too much madness. And I think he did that. His job was to yeah. show that a Black president is not scary. Not to be a bold, he was a bold orator. And dare I say that oration included some bold visions but he wasn't bold in execution, hmm. except on the healthcare yeah. front. That one, you well, know. even that, we, even that, he gave a blowjob to the insurance company. But, but hardcore, yeah, hardcore, <laughs> right? It was the worst. But at least he was pushing them along a system where, um, at the very least, however imperfectly, more people would be brought into the fold, and the least amongst them could walk into a hospital without losing. Uh, their life savings. He did that one part, and that was bold of him to say, I am prepared. I don't even know whether or not I will win a second term, right? 
but I am yeah. prepared to stake everything on this. Yeah, and that was powerful. And it's it was powerful. And it's funny because I can't think of uh, I can't think of. A, I, I, listen, I'm I'm not an expert on international politics and the history of other nations, but I can't think of an example off the top of my head. Mandela is like kind of, but not really. The an example of some of someone whose people who 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 he represents the demographic in that country that had been completely oppressed for hundreds of years and then eventually a person from that demographic becomes leader of that country well, is there any like we have that in my favorite clown right now rishi sunak he's a uh, the prime minister of great britain oh oh right yeah yeah, yeah no, i, I guess I, so he, yeah. he's a disloyal backstabbing <laughs> He he really stuck at the board. But what about the little boy? What about the little boy looking? No, up that's at him, that's though? that's and that's yeah. where. And look, I, yeah. I I when when he won, I it was, certainly wasn't lost of me, especially England, right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. This is yeah. the center of the empire. This is the core of it all, and you rose to the ranks and uh, by chicanery and some skullduggery, uh, but on the merits, you are now the prime minister of. Um, one of the grandest uh, countries in the history of humankind. Um, yeah. And you were formerly uh, subjects uh, in a colonial sense um, uh, of the empire. Uh, I mean, he, he, I think he, he's of Indian extraction and uh, it, it's, it's a big deal. I don't think he's going to win. That's the only way he could have won. I don't think he's going to be popularly elected, right? Um, but that's the, that's the only way he could have won. So it's a big symbol. Yeah. I think really we may is. need uh, that for Toronto. For example, it, so yeah, let's go back to whether or not I'm going to run. Okay. If I have, as David Miller said, $100,000, if I have 100 friends who give me $1,000, and I do have 100 friends, I could easily write a check for $100,000. But I think they're getting kind of tired of uh, my political uh, adventures. But oh, yeah. if I was to raise about... $500,000 or even half that amount to make myself a viable candidate or get out of the, get out of the gates and be pushed by popular support. I will do it because I think in our generation, I am perhaps one of the few, if not the only one that I've seen that has been consistently involved in civic issues mm -hmm. since I walked out of the gates of law school. Um, I can tell you the history of each and every file in City Hall. Um, I have worked within a bureaucratic system. I have managed multi-millions. This would be multi-billions, but uh, a mayor is not a governor, unto, a governor unto him or herself, right? And the beautiful thing about a job like mayor is that, and the beautiful thing about the fail-safe that we have in a democracy, and I don't know whether, how, how you're gonna uh, react to this, is the civil service. Yeah. I fundamentally, stake my confidence in a competent civil service, even though they're, the politicians are noisy, even though, uh, you know, they're not exactly working or, you know, they're coming at each other with nonsensical back and forth and the ad hominems and everything else. The civil service is the steady as it goes, professional, you know, workforce and who just show up to make sure the system is running. They're the ones that would help someone like me, and I already uh, in, in 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 the law. So, um, 
Do I think I could be mayor of Toronto? Hell yeah. Uh, do I think I have the capital to do it? Hell no. But if I had about 15%, 10 to 15% of what a lot of these major guys will have to start, um, I, I, I think I could shock the world. You know, maybe you can like figure out a way to like um, put up like a bat signal instead of having signs so that no one can fuck with it. Hey, I need some of that Bruce Wayne money though. Um, listen, man, we have a show coming on the network in about seven minutes, so I'm going to have to let you go. But, um, listen, uh, oh, I was thinking of the example of the UK. What's his name again? The UK prime minister, uh, Rishi Sunak, Sunak. He's more like a Bobby Jindal than a Barack Obama. Hardcore. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, Yeah. yeah, no, but, and you know, look, I mean, good for him. I, but he needs to know, um, I think the Tory party in, in the United Kingdom, uh, they've lost the plot. Uh, everyone who's been prime minister after Boris um, has no real mandate from the electorate. It's going to be so many people that have taken that chair by the time this decade is over. Like- it's, it was ridiculous. Somebody, I saw a tweet. Somebody said, uh, uh, my son has now seen uh, two monarchs, uh, three or four prime ministers and some other change. And he's only four months old. Yeah, that's right. That's crazy, that's right. right? Um, listen, I I would vote for you. I'd vote for you multiple times. No, Thanks, I would just brother. vote once. Thanks. Actually, I wouldn't be allowed to vote once. I'm sorry, but I, I I don't live in Toronto anymore. But I would I would certainly I would certainly work on your campaign if you'd have me because I think that you would be an excellent mayor. And um and yeah, so hopefully you know I I know it might be a long shot, but if the day ever comes, it would be nice to see you there because I know that civil service speaks to you more than the powerful moment of being elected and then ruling over all of us peasants right like i know that's not where your heart is at so thanks um, james so keep keep your head up and uh and if you can if you can make that happen uh we'll see you there but um until next time though thank you man uh that's rocco how do you pronounce it i, I do a champong is that is that how you do you're it? doing good i mean look it's it, it, i love how ctv pronounces it they always say rocco a champion you know it's like sure whatever you know <laughs> Whatever, look, look, whatever, at some point when you have a a non-European last name like mine, or a non-Western European, because, I mean, you're you're pretty good. D-Fury is pretty Catholic, (laughs) right? Um, right. You could be Pope, I can't. Um, Well, not unless they read anything I've ever written about Catholicism. Fair fair enough, but (laughs) it's just, it's uh, a champong, some say a champong or a champong if you're French. Look, as long as uh, you're you're in the ballpark, it's all good with me. You're really good at old video games. Uh, I stopped playing video games, I think, after Sega Genesis. Oh, so well, that that would fit perfectly because you're a champion at Pong. Right? Yeah. Like, that was oh, yeah. No, it's pretty that good. Was... That was pretty good. That was pretty good. Right. I love the. the I, I miss right. Duck Hunt. Remember Duck Hunt? <laughs> oh, sorry. I remember Duck. Did you know that Duck? Did you? A lot of people don't know this. Player two controlled the ducks. No I did not know that. that. That's right. No one knows that. So player two. And there's a player one. Everyone just thought that you shoot the ducks that are just striving in a straight line. No, no, no. The other controller controlled the ducks. No one knew that. So I wouldn't play with my sisters and she could never hit the ducks. And I just kept on like, she didn't know I was controlling them. Oh, man. I, I did I did not know that. But to be fair, that wasn't the last time I played a video game. I think the last time I played a video game was uh, undergrad uh, Halo. Yeah, I'm an NBA Jam guy. And then that's when I stopped. Uh, one of my favorite, but one of my favorite games, if we, since we're talking old school, um, was Mike Tyson Punch Out. 
Oh man, oh, I love that game. Nothing oh. like punching you out. Hit, you hit the hippo guy every time he opens his mouth. Right. Like, yeah, that was. I amazing. can still play that game. I, I can still play that game today. I, bet. I think it's like the only one... thing about that game that was fucked is that you couldn't block punches from Tyson. You couldn't. Well, I don't know. I think you could. You couldn't block his uppercut. If you tried to block his uppercut, he would just knock you on the ass. Yeah. You turn pink immediately. Little Mac would turn pink. Remember? Yeah, no, no. I, I That was one of my favorite games, just knocking them out and just seeing your reactions. It was pretty entertaining. That's right. Yeah. Rocco, thank you for coming, man. We'll have you again soon, and uh, maybe you can become one of our political uh, pundits here. Not pundit. That's a, that's a bad word. I don't think Commentator commentator but something because you know what you're talking about and you do care about the city so i appreciate having you and uh thanks a lot man we'll we'll have you again soon god bless brother all right brother rocco a champong um he's a great guy um the elections that he's ran i think he's he's ran like four times he's never won but he should have won at least once or twice because he you know people don't understand like he actually cares about what's happening in in Toronto and uh it's refreshing it's refreshing to see um so yeah so that that was nice talking to him um I do hope he ends up raising the capital and running for mayor if he does I think you guys should vote for him I think he's he's he make a dope mayor um I'm working on uh Tuesday and Thursday I have casual Friday again this week on Wednesday we have Sherry DeNovo and I'm having Sherry on the on the show to talk once again about politics, to talk about uh, the Doug Ford situation, uh, using his uh, daughter Stagendo as a cash cow for his developer money, and uh, and also the the John Tory resignation. I I think it'd be important to get um, Sherry's insight. She's a political veteran and she knows what she's talking about. And uh, it would be I know she's going to say that she thinks someone like a Kristen uh, Wong Tam should be mayor, but we'll see what happens. Um, I do respect her and I think that her opinion is is not just valid, but something that should be heard uh, at this at this time, especially when politics are so tumultuous and scandalous right now. Um, So we'll see her on Wednesday. And until then, we'll see you next time on Black Ball. Black It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. 
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.